0: Every week, we will share principles from the Word of God, interviews, and encouragement in order to strengthen your voice. Thank you for joining me today, and now here is today's podcast. Hey everyone, and welcome to Revival Cry. This is your host, Eric Miller. So thankful that you're with us here today. Thank you to Mango Radio who puts us on every week, Thursday night, 6.30 to 7 p.m. Saturday morning, 6.30 a.m. to 8 a.m. And we come to you every week with messages, with interviews of what the Lord is doing and how he's stirring hearts here in the Philippines and around the world. Praise the Lord. Make sure you also like and subscribe to our YouTube channel, Revival Cry and our podcasts, and you can listen to us on Spotify, Apple iTunes, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can make sure that you could check us out there as well. Praise God. You know, this past probably two to three months that we've been back here in the Philippines, one of the things the Lord's really spoken to me about is starting a mentor group, which is not an uncommon thing for us to do in the Philippines, especially here at Fire School of Ministry in Davao City, Philippines. But this mentor group is something a little different than what we've done in the past. And without understanding what the Lord was wanting the focus of this mentor group to be, I just kept praying about it and saying, Lord, what is it that you want us to look like? And then I met with a group of evangelists about two, three weeks ago. And at that meeting, I just knew immediately that the Lord wanted me to mentor evangelists. And so if you are listening to me today, watching us somewhere in the world, we have a new Facebook page that you can join, and it's called Revival Cry Evangelism Mentor Group. Revival Cry Evangelism Mentor Group. And what the purpose of this page is, is that we want to every week give updates and tools for those who are evangelists. I really believe that during the COVID season there and all the lockdowns around the world, that there was a great attack against evangelism and missionaries around the world in many different nations. And it affected people who were ministering to the homeless, those who were wanting to visit people and pray for people and help meet needs for those in the hospital, for the orphan, for the widow. And, you know, missions is the heart of the gospel. It's we worship the Lord with all of our heart, mind, soul, strength. We love God and then we love our neighbor as we love ourself. And I really believe it was attack of the enemy. And so it makes perfect sense to me now that things are open and people are able to travel again and work freely and not have so many restrictions that the Lord is raising up a new breed of evangelists, men and women of God that are called to reap the harvest that are called to be laborers that are called to equip the church for ministry. And so if you feel like that God is calling you to be a part of this, then I want to ask you to come and join us on the page. We're going to be doing every month, uh, possibly two or more times a month. We'll be doing online zoom calls with those from all around the world. And then if you're here, in Davao City, we'll be meeting at the Fire School of Ministry building on 55 R. Castillo Street in Davao City in the area of Agdal. We're right across from the Petron gas station. We'll be meeting here every Friday night. 4 30 p.m. and so we'll pray together we'll give some instruction and we'll talk about and keep the focus on evangelism so make sure that you join us every Friday if you're local or online no matter where you are listening from in the world praise God well today as we're talking about evangelism I want to talk about the uh, a message here a teaching really that is called what is an evangelist. Now, when you think an evangelist, you might think of you know Philip the evangelist and the Bible. You might think of uh, Billy Graham. You might think of you know Steve Hill, who greatly impacted me from the Brownsville revival. You could think of Reinhard Bonnke, right, or D. L. Moody, or some other great man and woman of God that that have preached the gospel all over the world. Here in Davao City, in the 1950s through the 70s, in the Foursquare Church, you had Nanai Evelyn Thompson, who actually we met when she was 93 years old and prayed for our team when we moved here and really felt uh, an impartation, the blessing of the Lord upon us when we moved here in January 2003, 20 years ago. And so... Whether you're an evangelist or not, this message is for you today. And as I'm primarily targeting evangelists, I want you to understand as well what is an evangelist. Because in most of our churches, we know really well what a pastor is, what a teacher is. And I believe that there's five-fold ministry gifts as outlined in Ephesians 4.11, also outlined in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, that there are apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists. And while I'm not here to focus on titles, I do believe that if we don't understand these gifts that God has given to the church, to the body of Christ, then we will build up the church to a certain point, but without these other gifts functioning within the body of Christ, we're going to lack understanding of becoming a part of the fullness of what Jesus has purchased for us when he shed his blood and when he rose from a dead. And and again, in Ephesians 4, it talks about that when he rose from a dead and he ascended to heaven, that he gave gifts to men. And these gifts, apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, and evangelist, are key to helping the church become uh, engaged in the fullness of what Jesus has purchased for us so that each of them having a unique perspective of who Jesus was helps us to become a fully mature body that is submitted to Jesus as the head. So it's not about titles, but it is about understanding the functions that God has provided. So we're going to talk about what is an evangelist today. And there's three verses in the New Testament where the word evangelist is used. In Acts 21, verse 8, it says, On the next day we who were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea, And entered the house of Philip the evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. So, Philip was not an apostle, but he was clearly established as an evangelist. Ephesians 4.11, and he, he himself gave some to be apostles, prophets, some evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And then in 2 Timothy 4 verse 5, 5, it says, but you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. That's what Paul was speaking to Timothy. And now some people believe that Timothy was an apostle, but he said, do the work of an evangelist. So whether Timothy was an evangelist or not, the understanding of what an evangelist is is extremely important. Because even many of you that might be listening to me or watching me today, whether you are called to be an evangelist or not, you are called to do the work of an evangelist. So that means we are all called to win souls and make disciples. The Great Commission was for the entire church, not just for fivefold ministry leaders. It was for all of us to feel a sense of responsibility and ownership for this world that how we live as sold out, as devoted lives to Jesus, we should be light and salt to everyone around us. So we need to understand what these definitions and terms are so that would help us to function in our identity, not only as sons and daughters, which is our primary identity, but also in the function as a part of the body that God has called us to. And whether you are a hand, a foot, an eye. It makes no difference. Whatever part of the body you are, you are called to do the work of an evangelist. So the Greek word for evangelist is you angel estes, you angle estes. And it means a preacher of the gospel. This is from the original Greek. A bringer of good tidings. An evangelist is the name given to the New Testament heralds, I'm going to define what that means in just a minute, of salvation through Christ who were not apostles. And again, I believe that some people can function in multiple gifts. Depending upon their calling, they may have a primary gift as an evangelist, but also be a great teacher and vice versa. They could have a primary gift as a prophetic gift and then function a- in a evangelistic role. It really is not up to you and I who functions and what and what titles we give each other. I think most of us call leaders, no matter what role of the fivefold ministry gifts, or even as an elder that they might play, that we call people pastor because that seems to be a non-threatening title that, you know, if people are assuming themselves of of being something when there's no fruit of them being whatever it is they're declaring themselves to be, then we would call each other pastor. I don't think it's wrong to call people by titles, but for me personally, I actually want to keep a low key and keep jesus as the primary headship of everything that we do we are under shepherds he is the chief shepherd amen he's the greatest evangelist who ever lived jesus was and so as we're looking at this what is a herald well a herald is one who makes a public proclamation the only notice of this office in the Old Testament occurs in Daniel 3, four. You can look that up on your own. But the term herald might be substituted for preacher. In 1 Timothy 2 verse 7 it says, And for this purpose I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I am, I am telling the truth, I am not lying. And a true and faithful teacher of the Gentiles. So here Paul is saying, not only am I an apostle, but I'm a preacher. I'm an evangelist at heart. But at the end of that verse, he also says he's a teacher. And so it's very interesting that I think depending upon the group of people that Paul was ministering to, he might function more in a role as an apostle, as a teacher or as a preacher. But whatever he was, that was not his identity. He knew his former identity was as a Pharisee. But then after he was born again, he was satisfied with being called Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. And his focus was not on his title, but his sonship. And so the what is the motivation of an evangelist? Well, in Jude verses 20 through 23... It says, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord and Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And on some have compassion, make a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. So what is the motivation of an evangelist? What is is the book of Jude telling us? That first of all, you are to know that you are loved by God. Evangelists who don't know that they're loved by God don't normally preach a message of love. And while I believe the law is important, we're going to talk about that in a moment, I believe the foundation for the nature and character of who God is, is love. And yet we oftentimes don't know how to preach the truth with love, in love, because we can read verses about in Psalms where God says he's angry at the wicked every day. Well, I believe that God is angry at the wicked. I also believe that he loves the wicked. <laughs> Why else would, would you know, we re- have John 3:16, for God so loved the world. And so God, at the same time, has the ability to love, and the ability to hate. To hate is a strong word. But I believe God is what he's saying behind hatred is he has to judge sin in righteousness. So it's not like hate like you and I think hate towards murder. God doesn't want to murder people. But he is saying when Jesus said even if you have hatred in your heart towards your brother you're still committing and breaking the law of thou shall not murder. God doesn't want to murder people, but God will judge people because he's holy, because he's righteous, and because he's full of love. If God wasn't a God of love, he would not be a God of justice, vice versa. How could he be a God of justice if he wasn't a God of love? So it's important for an evangelist to know that you are loved before you preach the gospel to others. And building yourselves up in your most holy faith. you got to grow in your faith. Having the word of God on our tongue and being able to preach the word is powerful. But we have to have faith, testimonies of what God's done in our life. So that we're not only preaching doctrine when we talk to people, but we're preaching from experience. God is a God who engages us. And he wants to engage others around us as well. And he says, praying in the spirit praying in the Spirit. I believe in praying in tongues. I believe that we build ourselves up in our most holy faith by praying in the Spirit. And as we do that, it's not... I believe there's two types of tongues. There's a private tongues and there is uh, a tongues that is for the body. And both of those have two different functions. And I believe scripture is very clear on this, that if we build ourselves up in our most holy faith by praying in the Spirit, we're actually going to grow in our relationship with the Lord and our knowledge of the Word of God will be influenced by the revelation of the Holy Spirit that opens the eyes of our understanding that we might know Him better. Praise God. And, and it says here that we will be more merciful To people when we understand the love of god when we're a people of prayer when we're walking by faith we'll be concerned about people's needs not just preaching down at people but we need to preach up to people we need to preach to them as servants as lovers of god not as people who are just rigid and harsh and wanting to be right friend, it breaks my heart that people are dying and going to hell, but I don't need to yell at them and treat them as if there's something lower than me or anybody else because I have more knowledge of the Word of God. No, friend, we need to warn them with brokenness, with love, with tears in our eyes. I, I believe it was uh, Charles Spurgeon who says, a sermon wept over is worth more than a sermon gloried over. I believe that is we walk in the word of God with God's spirit that he's going to give us his heart for people and then we're going to have this distinction we're going to have an ability to pull them out of the fire and want to see people get saved and set free and set on fire let me give you my definition of what an evangelist is number one an evangelist proclaims the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can look up Isaiah fifty-two seven and Luke 4.18. Next, an evangelist equips the church for ministry, Ephesians 4.11. Number three, an evangelist demonstrates the power of the Holy Spirit, Acts 8.6. Number four, an evangelist plants and water seeds that produce repentance from dead works and faith. In Jesus Christ 1st Corinthians 3 verses 6 through 8 and number five an evangelist models and teaches others how to endure as a voice in the wilderness while living as a part of Christ's body Matthew 3 verses 1 through 3 in Ephesians 4 4 I would encourage you to look up those scriptures on your own and maybe you'll come up with more of a clearer definition even than what I have here But I believe that evangelists needs to proclaim, declare, be a herald of the good news of the gospel. We need to equip the church for ministry. We need to train up other evangelists and train up the body of Christ at large to be soul winners, to be disciple makers. We need to demonstrate the power of the Holy Spirit. That's not something I can make happen, but I do believe that as we walk with God, that he will enable us to do things that only he can do you will do the things that I've done and even greater, right? And then we plant, we water seeds, but it's God who makes things grow. And people grow in the Lord through repentance. So if we're preaching against sin and preaching repentance with the love and the heart of the Father, then I believe people will put their dead works aside, and put their faith in Jesus. And then, of course, we model to others what it means to be a voice, to speak up when when others are telling us not to speak. Remember when they told Peter and John no longer to speak in the name of Jesus after they healed the layman at the temple gate, beautiful. They said in Acts 4.20 that we cannot help but talk about the things that we've seen and hurt, and of course, we live as a car, a part of the body of Christ. You know, as a missionary, I know Jesus has delivered personally. And I've seen him set other captives free through our ministry. We've seen souls save. I've seen people come out of homosexuality. I've seen people come out of being religious. And people come out of just pride and self-righteousness and lust and perversion, anger. And when these people have been bearing the fruit of the Spirit for so many years... It's amazing to see how God's delivering power can keep them free and holy for many, many years. And it's an honor to me that God would allow us to partner with Him as deliverers, as His ambassadors to declare deliverance to His people. If you remember Moses, when He went before Pharaoh, what was His proclamation? It was, Let my people go. You know, I believe that Moses was actually a herald. I believe he was a type and shadow of an evangelist. In Psalm 19:7, it says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. You see, if we learn how to preach the gospel with conviction, we are backing it up with the word of God, with the law. And in fact, the law's purpose in Galatians Uh, Galatians 3 24 is that it is a tutor that brings us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. So the law converts us. It encourages us to be set free from sin. But it's our faith in Christ that actually does the setting free. The unlocking of the sinful nature and death that is upon us. So I believe that when Moses stood before Pharaoh that he declared the truth of God's word, let my people go. And as he did, he saw captives set free eventually. Let's read a little bit in Exodus chapter 5 in these last several minutes that we have. Exodus chapter 5, this is Moses' first encounter of him and Aaron going before Pharaoh. Now, Pharaoh was the most powerful man in the world and you could imagine how Moses might have been a little bit intimidated to go and stand before the most powerful man in the world who could easily just have him killed But God told him in the wilderness, he had a burning bush experience. See, God wants you and I to have those burning bush experiences and to continue to walk with the Lord. Like I said before, building ourselves up in our most holy faith through prayer, through the reading of the word, and through constantly keeping Jesus before us. And it says here that now Moses comes before Pharaoh, probably shaking and fearful, but he has a greater fear of God in his heart. And it says that afterward, Moses and Aaron went in, and I'm reading verse 1, and told Pharaoh, "'Thus says the Lord God of Israel, let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness.'" think of the boldness and the courage, right? That's what you and I have to have when we go before people to talk to them. Maybe it's family, maybe it's friend, maybe it's people to go to school with or work with, and maybe you won't come up to them and say, let my people go. But when you and I are confronting the power of of darkness that is in control of people's lives because they are bound and slaves to sin. Just like Israel was a slave to Pharaoh and to Egypt, we need to have this heart of declaring the works of the Lord, that when we speak to people, we want to see them delivered and set free. And Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord, nor will I let Israel go. So he was a man of pride. He said, I'm not letting them go. They're my slaves. If they leave, uh, it's going to cause all kinds of trouble for us in Egypt. And we like this type of life. So we're not going to listen to you because who are you anyway? Isn't that like the enemy to intimidate us sometimes and try to keep our mouths shut from evangelizing those around us? Verse 3, so they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go three days journey in the desert and sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. And so Moses isn't even saying here, we're going to go to the land of Canaan, to the promised land. He's simply saying, let us go three days in the desert. What if Pharaoh had said, you know what? I'm going to allow you to go those three days. Maybe they would have come back into Egypt and maybe there would have been a revival in Egypt. But that's not what happened because we know that Pharaoh hardens his heart every time Moses comes for him and all the different plagues until the last plague of death where he loses his firstborn son and he angrily and and just through hopelessness just lets Israel go and the death angel passed over right during Passover and then Israel goes to the edge of the Red Sea before God delivers them as they walk through the see itself as God splits it. In verse 4, it says, Then the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people from their work? Get back to your labor. And Pharaoh said, Look, the people of the land are many now and you make them rest from their labor see the enemy doesn't want to let people go from their slavery friend so if you're going to evangelize the lost, if you're an evangelist you're going to have to confront the slave mentality and help people get free you're going to have free you're going to have to untie the knots of hopelessness and isolation and unforgiveness and pain that they're covering carrying i mean and and help them see their need for a savior so the same day, verse 6, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters and the officers. He said, I'm going to skip some of this. You know, before they gave them straw to make the bricks to build all the buildings that Pharaoh was building in Egypt. But he said, let them go gather their own straw. So now he's making it harder on them. And and they're idle. And he's saying, we want, they want to sacrifice to their God. Well, they're not, they need to the sacrifice for me. You know, Pharaoh was looked upon as a god. And so he was probably feeling a little competition with the God of the Hebrews, thinking, I'm not going to let these people go. They're my slaves. They belong to me. And that's what the enemy does, is that he tries to tie a little tighter noose around their necks to keep them from thinking of ever wanting to be free from sin. Listen, some of you are knocking on the doors of people's hearts over and over and over. And I want to encourage you, don't give up. Remain faithful. Keep doing what God's asked you to do. And then the taskmasters, they tell the people this. And they're scattered abroad, Egypt. They're trying to gather all all this straw. And the taskmasters, the slave drivers saying, hurry up. Fulfill your quota. And they're working harder than they did before. They're feeling pain. And then they say to Pharaoh, why are you doing this to us? We're your servants. There's no straw given to make bricks. It's harder to make the bricks. Their hands are blistering, I'm sure. They're tired. They're worn out. They're not eating healthily enough. And they said, he said, you're idle. You want to go sacrifice your God? You'll work harder. And then they met with Moses and Aaron in verse 20. And I said to them, let the Lord look on you and judge because you have made us abhorrent. You've made us a stench in the sight of Pharaoh and the sight of his servants to put the sword in their hand to kill us. And then the Lord, Moses returned to the Lord and said, Why have you brought so much trouble on these people? Why have you sent me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he's done the evil to these people. Neither have you delivered your people at all. Listen, one of the hardest things that we have to deal with as evangelists sometimes is people don't get the message at first. Friend, I want to encourage you in these last 30 seconds to preach the gospel. Preach it with love. Preach it with brokenness. Know who you are in Christ. This world needs your anointing and the grace that's upon your life. The church needs you to equip. Hearts are getting harder. But listen, the gospel is going to shine brighter as the darkness grows around us. Amen. That's why Jesus called us to be light and salt in the world. We're so excited for your listening with us today. I want to encourage you, go to our page and check out the new Revival Cry Evangelism Mentoring Group. Sign up, join us. We hope to see you soon, and thank you for joining us. God bless you. Revival. Thank you for listening to Revival Cry with Eric Miller. Please subscribe, rate, And write a review for this podcast on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts. To find out more or partner with our missions work around the world, please visit us at revivalcry.org. I look forward to being with you next week.